You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702 on 92.7 and 106 FM. Streaming on 702.co.za. The 702 app. And on DSTV channel 856. Five minutes it is past nine o'clock. It's Wednesday morning, the 6th of April 2022. My name is Africa Milani, sending in for Clement Magnatella, who has just concluded the breakfast show as he was standing in for Bongani Bingwa. All should be back to normal tomorrow. I'm in your company until 12 o'clock today, where we take your calls on 011 883 your WhatsApp messages and voice notes to 072-702-1702. Doctors in the community are often our very first point of of access to any kind of healthcare, right? Because queuing outside day clinics or hospitals can take a very long time. I know of people who wake up at two o'clock in the morning to go and stand and queue outside a public health facility because they know, one, there is a limit to the number of people that will be seen by healthcare professionals in that day and they want to be counted as part of that. Often there is a great shortage of medication, particularly where they end up being given panados or something similar to that, as opposed to the medication that will be more uh, impactful, I suppose, in dealing with the ailment that that person is presenting with. So for those of us, and yes, it is a privilege, who have a few hundred rands or medical aid, often the very first port of call is going to be our local doctor. They are family GPs who know our story and stories of our children. And it is not right. It is not right that in Soweto they are victims of crime in the regular fashion as has been reported um, on Eyewitness News. Uh, Soweto doctors fearing for their lives as attacks on surgeries rise. That's according to the Soweto Independent Petitioners Association. Brenda Sibeko quoted there in the Eyewitness News report. If you are a resident of Soweto, someone who's highly dependent on their family GP who happens to have a surgery around the corner from you. If you are a practicing surgeon, an employee of a surgery in Soweto, we certainly welcome your calls. Share with us your experiences and your fears on 011-883-0702. It is an open line. Uh, you can call us until 10 o'clock on any matter that is on your mind. Your voice. Your station. Let's walk the talk. 702. 702. Uh, straight to the open line. John, you've called in from Midran. Good morning to you. Good morning, Africa. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, John. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks, mate. Look, I'm I'm, I'm extremely concerned uh, about what's going on currently um, with what is effectively the transfer of all the state of disaster regulations basically into law. Now, for me, this is completely wrong. It basically will enable the government to do exactly what they want at the drop of a hat in any time in the future. What I'm also very concerned about is mandatory vaccinations. Now, basically, the president was very clear very early on that nobody would be forced to get a vaccination. But now what we're seeing in the private sector uh, is the fact that they're now implementing mandatory vaccinations and it's even got to the stage now, and I can confirm that uh, when youngsters are going for an interview, um, they have to produce a vaccinating certificate. Now, I, I also think that's very in- ingenuous, and I think it's totally wrong. And I actually think that people should be actually commenting on the transfer of these regulations um, before the public comment period expires. 
Uh, you absolutely have until the 15th of April, uh, is my understanding, for you to comment on the proposed regulations. My understanding is that at the moment there are just over 300,000 people, I think, no, over 132,000 citizens who have given input so far. And I strongly suggest that you uh, have your voice heard on the matter. And then on the issue of mandatory vaccinations, as is called for by private companies and some university campuses, uh, John, uh, constitutionally, I'm afraid, there is nothing wrong in what they're doing. Uh, at least the matters that have been brought before the court so far have always found in favor of the employer who's able to, in the best interest of not only their fellow um, employees, but also staff and obviously stakeholders they interact with, uh, it is in the best interest of that organization to, if they feel and deem it necessary, uh, to have mandatory vaccination as uh, part of the requirement. Africa, I understand that, and I could, I could totally understand it a little better if the vast majority of South African population had been injected. However, they haven't. Currently, we're at 40%. So basically, going forward, if this thing continues, you've got 60% of the population, and in particular, Africa, the younger generation, their uptake on this has been very poor, the massive unemployment, and now they're basically being told, if you want a job, then you will be vaccinated. Now, this is totally ingenuous to me, I'm afraid to say. I have to disagree with you, John. Um, it's everyone's right to decide to reject a vaccination, right? It's absolutely your right to do so. But then there will be consequences to you rejecting that vaccination, including not being uh, accepted for an interview for a job offer. So if you are steadfast in your view that you will not get a vaccine injected into your arm, that's your choice. Live with it. Uh, but it also means then when there are job opportunities up for the going, you are not going to be invited for an interview. But John, thank you very much for your call. Um, Jeffrey, you've called in from Montana in Pretoria. Good morning. Yes. Uh, Africa, I'm just disappointed at the public outrage, you know, at the people who are begging at street corners, these women with children, these small children. The truth is, these people are begging because they are poor. These people are begging because they don't have employment. They are unemployed. And it is a failure of the government and the private sector to provide people with employment. The World Bank recently just released a report which showed that South Africa is the most unequal society in the world, where like you've got 90% of the wealth in South Africa is in the hands of 20% of the people. So what is happening now with these beggars? It's not, you know, amazing. I mean, even in the USA, the leading economy in the West, we've got homeless people, we have beggars. Jeffrey, I hear that. And I think there's one actually simple solution, by the way, to eliminate uh, begging at intersections. If we stop giving, there will be no begging. It's as simple as that. Um, I live in Cape Town, as you might know. And in Cape Town, no person begging at an intersection will come to my car because in Cape Town, generally, a black person will not give. So they generally jump the car and go to the person who is Caucasian, who is in a car behind you, to go and beg. I don't do it because 
I, gener- I generously uh, donate to three organizations in Cape Town that work with homeless people. And I would invite somebody to go and use Heaven's Night Shelter, for example, for the night. There will be a bed and there will be a plate of food. If we collectively stop giving money at intersections, there will be no women or children, for that matter, who are being used by women uh, to beg for money at intersections. Africa, as a Christian, the Bible says, I was hungry, you didn't give me food. That is why some of us will always give to those people on the streets so that they can see they are good people in this world. But what I'm suggesting, Jeffrey, is that instead of giving to someone on the street, give to a food um, organization, for example, and have those people distribute food uh, in safe environments where the food is healthy and nutritious, as opposed to handing over 50 rand or whatever the going amount is at the moment. Uh, okay. As, as you have said before, Africa, we have freedom of choice. This is a free country. If you want to give to people begging at the streets, it's up to us. Indeed. Jeffrey, thank you very much. What they are doing, though, is breaking the law because bylaws dictate that you cannot be begging at intersections. And more importantly, no child of school-going age should be used by parents to beg. That child should be at school, and it is the responsibility of this government to ensure that that child has access to basic education. Hello, you've called in from Tembisa. Good morning. Hi, Africa. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. You know, I've got a very disturbing um, scenario that I've come across. Um, I know of one lecturer um, who came from Europe, and he got a job to a friend at one of the universities. I'm not going to say the name. And one thing I asked him was that, so does that mean you have to get a vaccine? And he was like, no, nobody ever asked me of that. And I'm like, but how is it that some of the students are actually being locked out and not and denied access to the you know facility um, because they do not have or they are not willing to take a vaccine. Um, you know, it's a sort of double standard, and I feel like uh, is there some sort of select, selection process? Whereas if you're a lecturer, you are not, you know, you don't have to get the vaccine, and it's only the students that have to do it. And I think there has to be some sort of regulation around that, where they have to check that are all the lecturers vaccinated, and if they're refusing to take the vaccine, they need to give a credible explanation. And such has to be given to the students as well. Hello. My understanding is that if a university council has taken the decision of mandatory vaccination, then that rule applies to everyone who is on campus, be it a student, be it a, an administrative clerk, be it a lecturer, be it the vice chancellor or the principal of that university. Everyone is supposed to show uh, a certificate of vaccination or if they refusing to be vaccinated, uh, then a PCR test at their own cost that shows a negative test result, I think, multiple times a week. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it's not happening, you know. Um, so it's South Africa, I guess, for us, you know, if there's, there's a room for corruption everywhere. Um, and I think it's, it's been in the in this particular university this is happening because it's really unfair that students are missing classes, um, you know, they're missing out on opportunities and, you know, a, an exception is being given to certain types of, of people or certain types of lecturers. It's quite unfortunate, but that's the point that I wanted to make. Hello, I fully appreciate and uh, respect your choice not to obviously divulge the name of the institution, but I would 
lodge an official complaint with that institution and if they are part of the University of South Africa, which is an association body of all the universities, I would also lodge a complaint there because that is not fair. That should not be allowed where a lecturer can uh, get on campus without being vaccinated or being asked for a vaccination certificate while, as you say, students are being left out of uh, campus. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Kustas, you've called in from Midrand. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Good morning, Africa. Africa, I think I am very concerned uh, about obviously the death of the doctor somewhere in Soweto. Now, I am of the view, Africa, that if the population of Soweto, let's just use a place, take a place, Dobsonville, if this doctor is in Dobsonville and he dies there, the population of that area is going to lose far more than just doctors because businesses are not going to operate there. That's a place for criminals. If that community does not mobilize on its own and stand up and uproot this knowledge where they live, that place is going to be messy. I think, I think, I think South African population need to realize a couple of things. One, we don't have enough police officers. Two, if you don't mobilize street for street to make sure that everyone is conscientized about crime in your street, which is the easiest thing to do, crime will not get away. And in turn, uh, economic uh, benefits will not come if the criminals are, are just on holiday like they have been. Um, and like that. So, so the loss of that doctor is going to send a huge chilling effect, not only to the doctors, but also to the ambulances if something goes wrong there, but also to a business guy who thinks that he can start something there. He's going to realize, I don't want to go there. Therefore, they'll be forced to go to, let's just say, white-dominated areas, in this case, towns. So I'm of the view, uh, Africa, that that community needs not to sit down. They need not just to watch. Police are overwhelmed. They must organize themselves and go to the council. The first point of call is the councillor, because I think there's awards in these areas. The councillor must know one. From now onwards, we are go- they are going to monitor the streets all by themselves. Make sure they, what is that word? Make sure you say that what is going on there. Then you report to the police and the community must know who is the criminal and who is not. So I'm yeah. just encouraging that to say they're not just not speak and watch Africa. Your thoughts on this one? I fully agree, Kustas. Um, the doctors are an essential part of the community. They are often family GPs. They, the doctor I go to uh, has been treating my family for two generations already. And I would hate for that doctor to uh, no longer be in practice because of um, an act of crime. And I, I fully agree with you. If I know the person who's uh, perpetrating this violence, I would want to go to uh, the SAPS and say, that person there in that house is the person who's responsible uh, for for all of that. Kostas, thank you very much for your call. We're talking, of course, about the um, story that Eyewitness News is running with. At least 10 Soweto surgeries have been attacked in the past three months. Last month, the much-loved Dr. Koboka was gunned down in his practice in Deep Kloof when four men stormed into the surgery. One person has been arrested and charged with his murder. He was known as the people's doctor on call 24-7 to help those in need. And at his funeral, doctors and patients shed tears when speaking about how loved he was and the uh, dire working conditions of Soweto doctors. Here's a voice note on this topic. Africa, is it not illegal for people to be standing at intersections for the risk of their life and as well as the risk of an accident? I recall that people were not allowed to be walking on a highway as well. You see people walking freely on a highway now. Why can't Metro Police 
take these people and put them in these homeless shelters when you see them begging at uh, the corners at robots and stop streets. It's a risk. We ban schools. We ban libraries. We destroy robots. Currently, when you drive to Pinville and other places, rocks on the road and robots are destroyed. Now we are killing doctors. And doctors are moving out of Soweto now. I mean, really, really, really gassy people who bewitched us, guys. Moses. That's a key question there from Moses. Who bewitched us? To a point where now we are killing doctors and attacking them on a weekly basis. Give me a call on 011-8830702. Costas in Midran suggesting that we as community members need to stand up and simbimbe literally tell on people that we know who are behind these acts of violence against our doctors. Otherwise, we are going to be living in communities that have no doctors, which will require us to get on a taxi, a bus, an Uber, whatever the case may be, to go to Santon, to go to Midran, to go to another place to go and be seen by a doctor. Your thoughts? 011-8830702. Cynthia, you've called in from Meadowlands in Soweto. Good morning to you. Morning, Africa. You know what? I want to share this with you. We, uh, somebody once did a survey of these people who were begging in streets with children. Do you know, actually, the, tax, the government that's failing its people, our government has, has got a lot of problems, we all know, but the government that, that's failing those people who stand with children on robots, on, on, on traffic lights, it's actually the Zimbabwean government because over 90% of them are from Zimbabwe. But the challenge is sitting with us, Cynthia. So we are driving through the streets of Gauteng and we are being begged uh, by women carrying children uh, for money, for a loaf of bread, for a piece of clothing, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, yes, there is a failure in Zimbabwe's government to uh, provide a prosperous future for the Zimbabwean nationals and have them stay in Zimbabwe. But they've crossed the border, legally or not. Uh, they are now in South Africa and we are sitting with the challenge and the burden, quite frankly, of them begging on our streets. Yeah, it's a burden. And Africa, let me just also say something here. You know the doctor who died was actually killed by foreigners. You are going to see the report soon. Uh, we don't have any uh, reports on that, uh, so let's wait until that report comes you out. Uh, we, 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 we do know that one person... We do know that one person has been arrested and charged with his murder, but let's wait until we find out the details about that person. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. EWN is on the story, and we will we will obviously report on that oh. individual when it's legal okay, for us to do thank so. Thank you, thank, thank, thank you, Africa. Bye. Thank you very much uh, for your call, Cynthia. There in Meadowlands. Let's go to Veronica in Spreadview. Good morning to you. Africa, are you? I'm well, thank you very much. How are you doing? All right, man, I just wanted to agree with you with regards to people who stand in the street with the kids. In our serve, I used to travel with my daughter from Bedford View to home, Straight View. There was a lady that used to stand at the corner, you know, in Thunder something street. So I asked her the other time that if don't want to come and help me, you know, I need a cleaner, you know, help us. Somebody that they clean for me you can bring your, your, your child with your, in, uh, it was a, a very small baby. No, you know, the way she looked at me, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And then I, since that day, I said, you know what? I'm not going to help these people. 
to, to, to work and support their kids. I'm, I mean, I'm working. I'm supporting my kids. I'm trying to give her employment. She refused. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to give people who are breaking the law deliberately and then expecting us to assist them. So that's my take on that one. Yeah, Veronica, thank you very much. I think that is a take that will resonate with many listeners this morning. Uh, sister, you've called in from Q. Good morning to you. Hey, my name is uh, Africa. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. How are you doing? Uh, good, good. Uh, so, Africa, you know, regarding the doctors that are, uh, are killed in the township, it's all good and well that would say communities need to stand up. Communities are standing up. However, the law enforcement aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Because if you're a community member, you see something criminal happening in one house, once you tell the police, then suddenly you're seen, you know, somebody knows that you're the one that went and told about it. So it's very hard for people to come out and stand up. We grew up in that way where we had doctors that took care of our families. And the whole community stood out and, and protected them. And currently... Nobody is doing it. The community is trying, but the law enforcement is feeding into it because they're getting paid for protecting these criminals. And the rates of unemployment, you know, when you drive around townships, seeing young people loafing around the streets, doing nothing, smoking, playing dice, it's, there is not much for them to do. And if somebody gives them something, say, here's money, go do some petty crime like stealing, they think it's okay because they are bored. So until things are put in place, those that are supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing are doing it. And employment is created. And the law enforcers are actually enforcing the law and not protecting criminals. Then we are nowhere. We will not really care of the scourge of these people that we need because we need doctors in the community. They give up grandparents' credit when they are not well. You know, mm. so we lose those kind of people, then we are in danger. But the world, you know, if we're not looking at it, we are in serious danger. But then people will move. Those with money will move away and leave people without money in these spaces. Will that change anything? No. Instead, people, criminals will move to those places, I think. Yeah. So, we, you know, I think it's a catch-22 situation and can't entirely be put on communities. Everyone needs to take charge. And especially the police needs to do what they're supposed to do and stop taking bribes for all these crimes that are happening. With, without a doubt, sister, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's a very, very complex situation that we're dealing with. There is no one easy solution to it. It's a multi-pronged possibly equally complex solution that we need to come um, up with and and the community though still remains a very important part of it um, if I, yeah. if one of my siblings was behind any of these actions, you best believe I'd be one of those guys who literally will march them to the SAPS and say this is a guy who went to go attack Dr. So and so in Soweto this past weekend because I know I'm going to pay the price in not having a doctor who has known my family history for generations um, serving not only my family but the community as well. And I think we need to we need to start taking ownership of it in such a way. Sister, thank you very much for your call. We continue with the open line on 011-883-0702. A number of voice notes already coming in to 072-702-1702. Walking the talk. This is 702. 702.
It's an open line on uh, the Clement Manyatella show this uh, Wednesday morning. My name is Africa Milan is sending in for Clement. Clement will be back on his show tomorrow. It's 9.34. We're taking your calls on 011-883-0702. Your WhatsApp messages and voice notes to 072-702-1702. By far the biggest talking point is the attack on doctors in Soweto. At least one each of the weeks in the last 10 weeks. And of course, Dr. Goroba was um, buried uh, following an attack in Deep Slut. Uh, not too long ago. The other big conversation is around children being used by women in intersections when they are begging. It did highlight the issue of policing and how it is the police, the SAPS, that are failing the communities, in this case of Soweto, but also generally Broda, Joburg and Pretoria in allowing the begging to happen in the street corners. The Human Sciences Research Council did a survey uh, that was published um some time ago, uh, that showed that the public confidence in SAPS is at its lowest. Nationally, it is at uh, 27%, at the highest, by the way, since 2011 when this um, survey has been conducted. It was 41%, which was 2011. And since then, it has generally been on a steady decline. 27% is the national average of the confidence we have in the South African police services. In Gauteng, uh, that goes down to 19%, which is an extraordinarily low confidence level. We experience crime on a regular basis, and we find that the SAPS are not a solution to the uh, challenge that we are facing. We fear crime in this country. Um, we see well-publicized instances of police abuse or failure of police to protect, of course, um, the people of South Africa. Perceptions of police corruption have come up this morning already and fairness and effectiveness of police, uh, also a question that is brought up by South Africans who were surveyed around confidence levels in the SAPS. What, in your opinion, do the men and women in blue have to do in order to gain our trust, gain our confidence? What would you like to see more of from SAPS? What would you like to see less of from SAPS members in order for you as a South African to trust them a bit more? Your calls on 011-883-0702. Tapelo, you've called in from Alberton. Good morning to you. Thank you. Good morning, Africa. Uh, and uh, thank you for laying that background. Uh, just to take it from where you've just mentioned now, uh, if you can look at it right now in South Africa, if you take any policeman, they will tell you that they're underpaid for the risk that they need to actually action. And what they're doing is if they get uh, into a, a concept of finding someone committing uh, a crime, it's either they take a bribe or they just move away to, to protect themselves as individuals. Now, the other problem that we are facing is that if the communities try to unite themselves in this informal organizations of pat- patrolling and what, what, what have you, you realize that if there's an act of crime again or someone dies during that act or they kill someone in, 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 in a participation of protecting the community, they get arrested for that, for that matter. So you, you realize that actually policing that we have in South Africa right now doesn't necessarily serve us as communities uh, uh, because they've got their own reasons to say, I need to protect myself besides the fact that I'm a policeman. And at the same time, you realize that from their day-to-day perspective, in terms of things that they do, there's, there's nothing literally that they do to find ways of protecting the community. Maybe it's because it doesn't fall part of their KPI. No one says that, I'm going to look at what you have you done in the whole month trying to protect the community. Maybe that's why they don't care, as long as they get paid every month. 
So we, we are facing this problem, especially in the townships, where it's not necessarily about the doctors in particular. There is a lot of crime that is happening, the heists that are happening and everything. The police are always involved in all these things. So the problem will be, are they underpaid? Or, the, or what is going on with them in particular from the business perspective? Because it's a hierarchy from the top to the bottom. They're always involved in all this nonsense crime. I think if I were to ask for policemen and women to call us now, they would say they're absolutely underpaid. But you go into the profession knowing that. You go into the profession knowing that you are not going to be paid nearly as much as what you are possibly worth, given the dangers that you expose yourself to on a daily basis. Uh, and I, I would like to think, Tapelo, that the overwhelming majority of policemen and women are actually good. And they're there to really serve the people of South Africa. And it has to be a minority, hasn't it, uh, that the, the, the corrupt uh, policemen and women, the ones who are going to take bribes, the ones who are not going to be able to do their job efficiently and uh, judicially, um, they, they have to be in the minority. I cannot, I cannot accept that the majority of our, uh, the members of the SAPS are in fact corrupt, um, uh, incompetent and do not care enough about serving the people of South Africa. But, but here's the thing about it. If you go to, let's just go to Bedford View, you'll see policing system running 24 hours. Maybe every, every 30 minutes there's a car passing. Go to Katekong, go to Fosleras, go to any other Tembisa, uh, uh, whatever. You will see that car once in a blue moon, and if they respond to an attack or anything on an event, it will be six hours later once everything has happened, and we want to come back and say we do not have resources. If you go to the police station, you find them sleeping. What happens again is that some of them, you find that within a shift, there are 10. They take 10s. That's four of you must sleep. Six of us will wake up. You will wake up around whichever time. So they're taking 10s mm. within the 12-hour shift or 8-hour shift that they're supposed to be waking as 12. Only six are waking at a time. And we have proven that many times. It's just that you cannot do anything about it. They will tell you, in this station, we've got only one van that is supposed to service an area of 16 extension with, with, with a worth of about 600,000 houses. And you want to tell me that we want to believe that the policing system works and we want, to tell the, we, want, you, we want to tell the communities that they are doing the right thing is not all of them? I'm not convinced. I don't want to lie. I'm not convinced. All right. Tapelo, thank you very much indeed. A correction on my part, it was Dr. Koboga who was gunned down in his practice in Deep Kloof when four men stormed into his surgery. Uh, Chris, you've called in from Pretoria. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, my man? I'm good, thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, you know, I think the issue with uh, the, the doctors, no? uh, first and foremost, I'm not uh, pointing fingers, but, you know, as men, we don't like to go to the doctor's. So those that go to the doctors regularly are the ones that see that the doctors have cash. So the problem, that's where it starts, because they can see that the doctor put this cash in this drawer, or therefore then when I go back home, then I'll tell the doctors that, you know what, if you go to that surgery, you go to this kind of a drawer, that's where he puts the cash. So maybe the doctor should start uh, stop accepting cash, and maybe they must have a speed point where all the transactions can just be electronically, so there's no money in the surgery. Maybe that will resolve the problem because this thing of giving cash, 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 they know that cash is there. That's why they'll continue to go and hoping that they'll find more cash. You know what I mean? 
I hear that. I wonder, and I'm not a resident of Soweto, so I suppose people living in Soweto will need to answer the question, uh, how many or what percentage of the community of Soweto would not have access to a bank card, for example? Um, I don't imagine doctors would want to accept e-wallets as a form of payment, right, where you eliminate cash exchanged as much as possible. Uh, so, so no doctor, I don't imagine, would want to exclude uh, parts of the community uh, by saying that I'm not taking any cash, I'm just taking cards and I've got speed points, uh, snap scan, you know, those kind of tools that are available at the moment. But uh, interesting thought there, Chris. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Eunice in Kilani, Peter in Spreadview, Peter in Sinoville in Pretoria. We come to your calls after these voice notes. Hi, Africa. Um, you know, this killing of doctors is really going to have a bad effect in these communities because Doctors write scripts for the pharmacies, for the community pharmacies in these communities. It's just going to take longer for them to see a doctor, even longer when the pharmacies move away to suburbs. So uh, I think we, we need to stand up and condemn this and um, the police needs to come and do their job for once. Really, come on, guys. I, I just feel like uh, what's happening in Soweto with doctors being um, killed and being exposed to crime, it just shows the animal farm. Um, we're living in an animal farm because now so much noise is it's, it's, it's made. But can you imagine the poor, vulnerable people in Soweto that have been exposed to crime? But now that it's a doctor, we may, I know the importance of, of their, their responsibilities in the community. But if we want to take crime serious, we need to care about poor and a doctor at the same level. We shouldn't make as if the doctor's life is better than the poor people. And I don't think that's what we're doing. And thank you for highlighting that point. Um, yes, we are talking about it now because Eyewitness News is reporting that doctors are being attacked in their surgeries um, certainly at least once a week for the last 10 weeks, right? Um, and yes, it is something that is in the news. But certainly on this station, we are concerned about the efficacy of fighting crime by the South African police services. And I have to agree with uh, Tabelo, who had called in earlier, that as much as I would love to think that the majority of men and women wearing that blue uniform are actually good law-abiding citizens who are there to serve the people of South Africa. Even if that was true, clearly there's a failure because we would not see the crime stats that we see reported every quarter by the Minister of Police and his uh, police commissioner. Um, if, if there was efficacy in the fight against crime would have many, much fewer people being murdered, much fewer people being raped, much fewer doctors in this case being attacked in their surgeries. Walking this talk together. Every hour. Every day. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. Hi, Eunice. Uh, thank you very much for your patience. You've called us from Kilani. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Africa. Africa, it's so sad what's happening to the doctors in Soweto and condolences to Dr. Koboka. But, um, I mean, his family. You know, I, I don't think it's the attacks on doctors is only confined. I mean, at the moment we're talking of Soweto. Only last week, Africa, a doctor, Dr. Khalid Mukaddam, was gunned down in his surgery in Jubert Park. And as we talk, he's in the clinic, he's been operated on, and... Uh, you know, they're also serving the poorer community there, elderly doctor. And from what I've been hearing, Africa, in Gauteng, 
it seems like doctors are soft targets because there's been a spate of robberies, you know, in surgeries. So, you know, it, it boils down to the moral fiber of, uh, our, of, of our society is disintegrating here. I mean, how many times have we heard of essential workers like ambulances, people going into the, the wherever, to townships or wherever, getting robbed? I think uh, in one instance, someone was even raped. I mean, really, what is going on with our society in Africa? What is going on with our society is a key question to ask, Eunice. Thank you very much. Uh, the Soweto Independent Practitioners Association saying that these attacks started as far back as 2019 and that they've been on the rise ever since. Peter, you've called in from Spreadview. Good uh, morning to you. Morning, Africa. How are you? I'm well, thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm all right. Let me get to the point, Africa. I think following up on the lady that called earlier on from, I think, Dobsonville, I know that when you talk, when we talk about the foreign nationals, our brothers, you're very sensitive, Africa. Okay, but she uh, said uh, Peter, there's, a Peter, coming, there's a report coming. Yes, Africa but what I was suggesting, Peter, is that we we wait until that report is in place. Let yes. let's talk about yes. facts, and the facts that we have for the moment is that one person has been arrested and charged with his murder. We do not, at least, we don't have anything confirmed yet as to no, the identity no. of that person. Yes, 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 yes. Fair enough, Africa, but I can tell you, my brother, this issue of management of the whole foreign national base, the borders, and that the government has been kicking the can down the road. Now it's going uphill. They kick it, it simply comes back onto their feet. In my hometown, for respect, Mashayen, the community managed to set a trap, Africa. The guys were slaughtering their livestock that you can't believe. They've got the four guys. Guess what? Those guys are not coming from South Africa. The bottom line is Africa. These guys, they don't give a hoot about this country. Because again, yes, the police might not be paid that much, but there's an element of greediness. They've got the medical aid, the pension, and, and, and resources will forever be limited Africa. But we need to face the facts. To say, chaps, we are running in a vicious cycle, Africa. We must cut it. And say, but guys, let's get started. Good morning. All right. Peter, thank you very much for your call. Once again, let me caution. Let's wait until we find out the details of the person that has been arrested by the SAPS in relation to the death of Dr. Koboka. The South African Medical Association, by the way, um, expressing shock and anger following the physician's murder, uh, suggesting uh, that uh, the doctor was robbed a week earlier and it is possible that it was by the very same gunman. Uh, Peter, you've called in from Sinoville. I think it's how you pronounce it in Pretoria. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Africa. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you doing? No, well, well, not so good. Um, I'm calling in connection with two things uh, quickly. Firstly, I've been listening to over the radio, and I'm a police officer personally. I've rose through the ranks, and I've seen how my colleagues, and I'm not uh, defending or protecting the police officers that are corrupt, police officers that are not doing their jobs, police officers that uh, are very actually a danger to our communities. But uh, we have had situations within uh, the very uh, um, organization, within SAPS itself, whereby we have our own uh, members or my colleagues that I've seen dying in front of my own eyes. I went to bury some of them. In South Africa, we are the only country where we have uh, the highest rate of police officers dying. And the reason for that is because the police are to 
uh, soft handle criminals. They have to come with soft gloves on criminals that are very vicious, are very dangerous. You, you cannot just shoot. We have IP on our side. If you are in, uh, not even, I'm, I'm not speaking about police being brutal. I'm not speaking about uh, excess, uh, excessive force, uh, use of force. But I'm speaking about the fact that the police officers, most of them, they are very cautioned. We are very cautioned about if you take out the firearm, you must know that uh, you are going to shoot and you must be sure. What just, if a, a person is uh, attacking you, for an example, you go and uh, effect an arrest. You find that uh, the person you want to arrest, maybe his uncle, maybe he's bigger than you or whatever the story. There is no longer law abiding. Uh, uh, there's no more uh, that co- uh, caution, caution or the understanding that uh, there is a, a police officer who is acting on behalf of the government. They see you as an individual. They can fight you if they want. And the minute if you fight back, you've got people with cameras all over that are taking pictures and they say police brutality. We had a former minister of police, um, Balula, who was even encouraging the communities that if you see any police brutality, take out your, uh, your, your phone, take pictures and all that. Now, what we have, uh, not speaking uh, to protect the police, as I said, what we have, the problem where it is, is that since 94, we have relaxed the security in South Africa. We have allowed a lot of things to happen, and now it's catching up with us and it's growing by day. When you look in the past, even just the sight of one police officer, and I'm not saying we should be in that uh, area where there was apartheid, police force, and all that, the brutality and all that. But the police people have lost, even on a, I, I drove on a state vehicle marked and uh, you see a taxi driver or another motorist passing a red robot while you're stopping there. They pass and then there's nothing happening. If you go after him, he will argue with you. He can even fight you as an as, as a officer. So we have a, a, a state that is running, I don't know like what. If I had my own way, uh, being a South African born and bred and raised here, if I had my own way, I have money. I'll go and stay in Botswana or go and stay in, in, in any other country. Why there is no such crime in Zimbabwe? It's because the police in Zimbabwe, they will deal with you. The police in Botswana, they will deal with you. The police in Zambia, they will deal with you. But here you have the police that uh, are being uh, cautioned. Uh, IPT is on our side to say, if you shoot, why did you shoot so many bullets? Why did you, you you've got uh, to, and the state is not spending for you by that time. You are alone in the dock. Uh, and one, one last thing is that, the, in the past, when you go to court, if I arrest you, you go to court and be able to say uh, you prove your innocence. Right now, you don't go and prove your innocence. I must come being the arresting officer and prove you guilty. At times, I don't even have all the evidence. The community is afraid to come up front and then uh, give witness, I mean, pay, uh, put uh, uh, evidence and say such and such we know because if you are now incarcerated, you've got your friends out there that will be now terrorizing the very people that were testifying. So we are caught in a catch-22 situation, like you said earlier on. But our problem is on the constitution that we have that is open for anyone. Anyone who's here, he can do whatever that he wants. The thing of Dudula, I don't support it. But what they are doing, they are pushing the government to do the work. Because we have the Minister of Foreign Affairs that is pushing, is fighting alone. And we have a lot of other individuals. We have the army on the side. 
whereby there was a cutter blanche. Uh, I'm taking much of the time. Sorry about that. The no, no, no. Uh, you, you, you're the first police officer who's called in. You're the first police officer, Peter, who... Whereby, whereby you, you saw uh, the un-personnel uh, uh, taking money from Zimbabwean guys when they were crossing the border. We no longer have the border check. We no longer have the border. So people do as they wish, as and when. And they will tell you even the army guys that, look, I'm not saying the armies, they are uh, corrupt. Because there are many other also uh, guys within our ranks, uh, within the, the subs that are in the borders that are taking bribes and all that. But the thing is that we do no longer have the law on our side as the police officers. So I, 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 let, me, let me challenge you on that. Peter, Peter, let me challenge you on that. Because as a South African, of course I want to live in a community and a country that is safe for me to live. But I have yeah, always yeah. maintained this point that I'm not going to give up on any of my civil liberties just because I want to feel safer, right? Which means uh, it is right that police do their work accordingly. It is right that when there is a cell phone camera that can record Peter doing uh, his work in Pretoria as a police officer that that is done because you know what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. It's not a question of we are not giving you the tools or the space or the ability, I suppose, to do the the work that you need to do. Uh, Here, you only have to think of Margana. Here, you only have to think of the July unrest. Here, you have to think of the uh, early stages of the um, uh, lockdown, right, where more South Africans were dying at the hands of law enforcement than COVID-19 at the beginning of the lockdown. So, as a police service, you're supposed to be serving the people of South Africa, and there are there's a disconnect, if you like, a disjuncture between uh, the service that you're offering as SAPS and obviously the need to fight crime. So let me ask you this. In 30 seconds, if you could advise the mm-hmm. new police commissioner, General Zetlatle Masamole, um, what, what advice would you give him? What would be the one or the two things that he needs to do today in order to improve your working conditions? Well, let me be honest with you. Until we have uh, dealt with uh, the issue of our constitution, the way it is, my brother, we are not going to do anything. Even if we can bring the uh, highest ranking officers from U.S. that are attending and that they are dealing with the crime and give them the tips on how to deal with situation here in South Africa. The Constitution remains the stumbling block. And I'm not saying uh, this because I wanted to see brutality happening, this and that. The situation in uh, last year, July, if we had the police that is working, the police that is uh, well understood by communities. I mean, you, you, you will be able to have fear, sense of fear. That if I'm caught here, I'm yeah, going but to I, I, Peter, I'm going to leave it there. I don't want to fear the police. I want to be served by the police. That that's what I'm looking for as a South African. But thank you very much for your call.